Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 132. We're still ticking. <laughs> I think we've been saying that since episode like 10. I mean, <laughs> the listeners can't believe it. We can't believe it. We're just in a constant state of what? My parents can't believe it. Oh, uh, mine either. They're like, so you... You getting money for this yet? <laughs> no. <laughs> no it's, our, it's, our, it's our public service. It's our passion um, project. Yeah. <laughs> Just keep plugging away. Well, hello, everybody. I think we mentioned this on the podcast that you and I were supposed to be last weekend in a resort in West Virginia together doing a show. We were supposed to be. And then COVID happened. Yeah. And then you couldn't go. Not that you got COVID, but you just couldn't. I know. Um, child childcare. Child care. Uh, a I, COVID situation. A COVID sitch. Um, a ch- COVID adjacent that is fucking up your life. Um, but I went to West Virginia with my good friend Andy Woodhall. And we did a show at this resort near Pittsburgh, West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And it was real fun. Can you and do it was- the accent though? Hoogie. just talking to somebody about this last night how much I love like after mayor of Easttown I'm like obsessed with the Pennsylvania accent can like, I tell home, you hey hoagie that's how I I make fun of Ben because that's where he's from like right in that region and, and that he I've says, never picked up on Ben's accent he doesn't but listen to him sometimes he'll say Tony Tony <laughs> Tony and home Tony went and- home and had a hoagie <laughs> some wordder People say, oh, that's like the accent is overblown. But like, that is what Ben's friends sound like. Exactly. Like, that is TJ Barry. Like, that the the detective is TJ Barry. Like, it's one of Ben's friends. Like, it's exact accent. So I just want you guys to- I love it. It's for real. I love it too. So nice. Home. Tony. (laughs) (laughs) That's my only impression of Ben. I've been doing it for years. And he's like, okay. Got it. <laughs> Got it. You nailed it. You nailed it. <laughs> um, but yeah, but it was fun. But I it was like, like I felt like I had like a get out of jail free pass because I had just had COVID. And so I was like, ooh, I can travel. <laughs> yeah. And good thing because no one had masks on there. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I was oh, like, no. if I, I didn't have COVID, I would have gotten it for sure. Jeez, but, but I saw your um, pictures, your videos actually of you skiing, which was amazing. <laughs> if you call it that. You're oh, s- man. I thought, we'll post it. I I have skied before, I would like to say, even though it does not look like I have on this video. I have skied before like maybe five times in my life. And I didn't realize like it had been about 20 years since I've skied. And I always like, I'm not great, but I had like, you know, I'm like, I'm like, averagely athletic for a woman of my age, right? Like you I had out, visions I've always been of yourself as I was. Yes. Like, at 20. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like being like shredding okay, I can- the gnar. Is that how you say it? <laughs> That's what I said. <laughs> uh, 
I just, you know, I was like, I can get the hang of this. It is not a big, it's not like a big ski place. It's just a ski hill. Like it wasn't. And I immediately was like the most bumbling skier you have ever seen. After that video that I will post where I'm like flailing my arms, that was the best I did. And then I immediately fell. And then I couldn't get up. And then I got up. And then I immediately fell. (laughs) And then I was just like on the ground. And Andy, I mean, he must have gone up and down like four times while I was just like trying to get back up. And he kept being like, do you need help? Can I help? And I was like, just go. (laughs) Just keep going. I'm fine. Uh, I made it down the hill one time. How did it feel? It took me 30 minutes to get down. (laughs) Like, it was not a big ski hill. Uh, And then I went back up on the ski slope. Andy waited for me. And he was like, do you want want some company? I was like, fine. (laughs) And then we got back to the top. And uh, I immediately went to the lodge and quit. (laughs) Got some hot chocolate. That's what I would have done. But I would have gotten whiskey. Oh, they didn't have whiskey. Oh, was um, it like a Christian <laughs> no, it just is like very small. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that just I think they probably had like uh rolling rock or something, but <laughs> see, yeah, I've actually it. never been I've been cross-country skiing one time on a sixth grade field trip to Frost Valley when I lived in New York, and they uh-huh. only like it was like uh cross country where you basically just walk with skis on. Yeah. I've never been skiing ever, but the only reason I would ever do it is for the afterwards of getting to sit around in warmth and drink whiskey. Yeah. You know? Like, or hot toddies or something. Like, why else would you do it if you don't get the reward at the end? I Does mean, it make any sense? Well, one, it was free. <laughs> so that is A. A, it was free. B, it had just snowed. We thought it'd be fun. Andy really wanted to go. And, uh, and then, you know, and then I just, I had, I, I obviously, I have not my 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 mind has not cut my perception of myself has not caught up to the reality of where I am at this point in my life. Well, also I just had COVID, so I was so weak. You're an Jen. athlete, Sally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, Jen, you told me that you like my bangs, so I can't trust a word you say. I do like your bangs. <laughs> they were a cry for help, Jen. No, they're not. <laughs> they they look are. Cute. I like it. <laughs> they are. Two years into a pandemic, and I was desperate. <laughs> Quarantine bangs. Quarantine bangs. But I really do like them. They look cute on you. <laughs> Thank you. I Thank wouldn't you. lie. I mean, I would lie, but I'm not lying. <laughs> oh, I knew it. <laughs> um, well, if you get bangs, I'll like them too. But you should. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> Nobody should. Nobody should. Don't do it. Well, we missed you this weekend. I know. uh, I was sad to miss it. Would have been fun. Hey, let's get into our quickies. Let's do it. Okay. I'm first first this week. Okay. Jen, I have a choose your own adventure. Okay. Do you want a listicle that are first date tips for men? So do you want to know what men, what kind of tips men's health is giving men on their first date? Kind of. (laughs) Or do you want a story about wine. I mean, I can, can do one the next one. <laughs> yeah, save me the story for wine later. I want to hear the first date tips for dudes. I got, I, I'm dying to hear this. Okay. Okay. So Did this, a man wanna, write the article? No. It was written for Men's Health by Sarah Jacobson Perwall and Gigi Engel. Number one, it says, make it a two-way conversation. 
seems pretty straightforward. Yeah, I mean, yeah, what? active listening. Are you an animal? <laughs> Don't talk about yourself. It says, find things you have in common. It doesn't have to be a shared passion. In fact, it can be the opposite. There are great bonding over hating the same things, which right. I agree. <laughs> uh, be mindful of touchiness. That's number two. Like, don't be too touchy. Don't be too touchy. Okay, got it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, number three, keep cursing to a minimum, which I agree with. Do you agree with that? I agree. I mean, I mean, I have a, th I have a filthy mouth. Fine. <laughs> Some, Some is cursing fine. is fine, but it's like um, if if every other word out of your mouth is like "fuck this" and "fuck," that, it just seems super negative and uh, like, yeah. Yes, kind of I agree. Yeah, it's like when you hear 13-year-olds um, cuss and you're like, Ugh, cursing isn't fun anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. It just doesn't sound cool. Uh, okay, be present in the moment. So, you know, don't don't look at your phone. Yeah. Okay. Um, These are all like basic tips on being a human being. I know. I'm, I'm kind of – It's. I wish, it, I wish there was something more. Um, so this next one is curb any excess enthusiasm, which I think is a little – Really? Yeah. So it says, giddiness doesn't read as enthusiasm on a first date. It reads as anxiety. So basically, it's like play it cool, which I don't really love. I mean, I get so excited when someone is excited about anything. I know. You know what I mean? Like if you're excited about like, like oh man, they have, you know, they have scotch eggs here. I love a scotch <laughs> egg. This is amazing. Yes, I would like, be. That would make me happy. I yeah. love people who are enthusiastic. Me I mean, I, I guess I understand the like somebody who is like going too hard. Like it it may be like overwhelming. I guess. But I do want someone to show some interest and enthusiasm and passion, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Joy. Okay. Joy. Joy. Yes. Uh, okay, so the next one is your date. If your date wants to split the bill, go for it. Yeah. What's your policy on oh, dating? Oh, meaning bill like if someone um, insisted on paying, and then I was like, "No, I got it." And then they see. And okay, she's like, "Okay, <laughs> this is a thing." So I don't know if it's just an Italian thing or it's where I grew up in New York, or but it is part of the culture um, to when a bill comes. It's no, 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 no. I got it. No, I'll kill you. I'll kill you. I'm paying this bill. Like, no, no, no. Like, fighting, you fight over the bill. Like, that's yeah. considered a sign of like um, affection, I guess. And yeah. like, you know what I mean? Is to <laughs> yeah. be like, I swear to God, Mary, if you pay that bill, I'm going to come to your house and kill you. <laughs> but so, like, when I moved, that's just how I grew up is watching like, uh, my parents and their friends and stuff and like even uh, us kids you know would do that to each other like no I got it you're crazy like no 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 yeah, I yeah, insist yeah. I insist and that was just the way that it went but I remember when I moved here I went out to dinner with my best friend Patrick and his family and at dinner his dad went to pay the bill and I went to give him money and his dad was like no put away your money and I was like no 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 <laughs> Patrick, no, Mister's doing. I got that. And like, you I did son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> what are you nuts? Put your wallet away. And so, like, I did the whole thing. And then after dinner, he like when we went back to um, his house, he like brought me outside and had a talk with me and was like, "The dad did, yeah." Mm -hmm. <gasps> and was like, "Listen, if I 
if I'm taking you out to dinner, then I'm taking you out to dinner. And for you to um, insist on paying, that's insinuating that I can't afford to pay for you. And it's insulting. And I was like, I didn't even know what to say. I was just like, no, no, no. Oh my God, that wasn't my intentions at all. Yeah. Like, that's just how we did it, you know, growing up. And so yeah. I still have that, like, like, you know, it goes so far as to like believing money, even after the dinner, like you hide money in that person's car and it's like, gotcha, I paid for that dinner. Or you and I do it. We Venmo each other, uh-huh. even though, um, yeah. you know, yeah, we you say that we're going to pay and then all of a sudden you'll get a, we Venmo each other back and forth until one of us gives up. Right. <laughs> we have Venmoed back and forth the same $10 for a long time. I know. It's, <laughs> that's just kind of how I, I roll, but I am learning to accept if someone insists on paying, I'm learning to just say like, thank you so much. I'll get it next time. Because yeah. I know now that like everybody didn't grow up the way that I did. And yes, that it can it's a be little intense. insulting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to like, I wonder if it's like, do you ever, when you're going on dates, talk about it beforehand? Like- like this, we're going to split this, or do, do people bring that up? Um, I don't think anybody ever talks about it beforehand. It's yeah. just like, Bill comes, gra- grab your cards, and it's like right. a quick draw of who's going to pay for it first. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I always yeah. try. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I've never just sat back and been like, okay, thanks. Like, it's always, I always have to do a little bit of the like, no. I got it. You know I can do this. Yeah. I'm a lady with my own money. Yeah, because I do have my own money. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> but it's always appreciated when someone offers or does, but it's never expected. Yes, you know I, mean? I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, okay, so the next one is dress to impress. And, okay, this is what they they suggest for an outfit is dark jeans, a blazer, and loafers. How do you feel about that outfit? I don't care about how guys I mean I've definitely like noticed if guys are like nice dressers like well it's a nice you like Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. it's a sharp dresser but um as long as they're not wearing like you know sweatpants and dirty white sneakers and like a MAGA hat yeah I don't really like shower shoes (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) yeah that might that might uh that might be it okay so then offer a Offer a polite compliment. Said, don't talk about how your how great their butt looks in pants, but yeah. start with you look really nice tonight. If your date doesn't seem to enjoy compliments on their appearance, go for a cool line like I can't get enough of your laugh. That's nice. That is nice. I, yeah. I you should use that. That's a good line. Oh, you want me to say it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I'm ready. <laughs> Sally. I can't get enough of your lap. Good, because I use it all the time. Okay. Good. Um, the next one is humor is your friend. Uh, agreed, agreed. Although it's like, find something you both agree on. For instance, maybe you both think Frasier is pretentious and, and terrible show or absolutely love It's Always Sunny. Joke about that together. <laughs> okay, so then it says that if you have a virtual date, you should cook together. That that's a fun virtual date. I don't know how that's like a general suggestion. Uh, and then the last tip, Jen, I don't think if you're going to believe this, but it's remember to have a good time. 
Hey, kids. Remember to have a good time. Um, that's weird about the virtual cooking thing. Like, that would never cross my mind. Do you go, like, go out and buy the same ingredient? I guess that could work. It would be fun. So it says, decide on a simple meal you can both make in your kitchens over Zoom. Follow a recipe together. You know what else would be fun? You guys order from the same restaurant. <laughs> that does sound more fun. And then have it delivered. <laughs> See who gets it first. <laughs> And then eat it together virtually. Yeah. Uh, no, but I do like cooking, though. That's a, that would be fun, I guess. That would be fun. But hopefully like a- we're close to being out of this pandemic. We don't have to do things virtually anymore. Yeah. Right? Right. Fingers crossed. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm done with it. All right. So that's my quickie. That was your, that was your choose your choice. Choose I your own adventure. It. That was a good one. I appreciate it. <laughs> Hey, you know what? What? I'm going to give you a choose-your-own-adventure. <gasps> what? Yeah, because I have two quickies also. So I'm going to let you choose. Do you want to hear a quickie about um, a blind date gone wrong in China? Or do you want to hear a quickie about um, a Texas woman getting engaged in New York City? Uh, a blind date gone wrong. Okay, good. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> okay. Um, so this article came from people.com written by Greta Bjornsson. This just sounds like my worst nightmare. But um, so a 30-year-old woman in China, she's only go, um, told them her last name, which is Wang, to hide her identity, went uh, to a blind date, which a blind date at somebody's house sounds not safe. Yeah. Yeah. So she went and met a blind date at his home on January 6th. For him, he was going to make her dinner. When she got there and he made her dinner, because where they live in China, there has been like a a huge increase in COVID-19 cases. In order to contain the spread of the virus, the city went into a sudden lockdown while she was at his apartment and she was stuck there for days. No. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So she just could not leave. So she was actually visiting this city, uh, which is uh, Zhengzhou in China. She had planned a week-long trip, and the the point of the trip was she was going to go on a lot of dates. So she she told um, CNN, actually, she told CNN, I'm getting old now. My family introduced me to 10 matches, and the fifth date wanted to show off his cooking skills and invited me over to his house. So I guess she went to this town or the city and was like, I'm going to go on, I'm going to date as many people as possible this week. Yeah. But yeah, she just didn't know that the, on the fifth date she would get stuck there for So days. she didn't even live in the city. Uh, and no. she's just stuck at this guy's house. Yes. Ooh. I know. Did she like him? Well, so she posted a bunch of videos to social media, which went viral. And she showed a video of this guy like cleaning and cooking her meals and working and stuff like that. And she said that he was very nice, but that um, she, that he just was not right for her. Yeah. Um, she actually told uh, this uh, news source called The Paper, she told them, besides the fact that he's mute as a wooden mannequin. <laughs> <laughs> he's great. Otherwise. <laughs> Everything else about him is pretty good. <laughs> and 
then she said, despite his food being mediocre, he's still willing to cook, which I think is great. Wow. This poor guy. He was probably like, I didn't want you to be stuck in my house either. Right? I was like, despite the fact that she's a real bitch. I know. <laughs> it was great to have her. I was trying to cook her one meal. Yeah. I know. Apparently, the videos that she posted went viral, but she ended up taking them down out of respect for this man because um, he didn't want to be on social media. Yeah. And then he, his life kind of like got blown up and his friends were calling him and it started to affect his life. So she took it down. And she told yeah. people, she well, said- I guess there, that goes in her favor. <laughs> yeah. Like at least, at least she took it down. Yeah. But- And she said, uh, thanks, everyone, for your attention. I hope the outbreak ends soon and that my single sisters also find a relationship soon. (laughs) So their whole family is on a mission. Man. Oh, man. Or maybe she meant, like, sisters, like, all of womankind, right? Yeah. Like, all my single sisters out there. Yeah. Maybe that's what she meant. Maybe. Oh, man. Oh, that's a good one. Let that be a lesson to you. Don't go over to someone's house. Yeah. (laughs) Especially not during a pandemic. Yeah. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Are you ready for a wild story? I am. This is an international wild story, just like your quickie. Oh, good. Uh, I got my information from a New Yorker article by David Gran from an episode of Case File Mm. from The Guardian by Elizabeth Day and from Murderpedia. These are all very classy sources. Very classy. (laughs) Thank you. Ben found it. Um, Of course he did. (laughs) I was like, find me a story. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So this happens in Poland. All right. In December of 2000, two men were fishing in a remote part of the Oder River outside of Roklaw, which is in southwest Poland, when they spotted what they thought was a log. But as the log came closer, they noticed hair and realized <gasps> that this was the body of a man. Oh, no. So they hurried to fish it out of the river, but it was too late. It became obvious very quickly to the fishermen that this man had been dead for quite a while. It was also clear that the man had been murdered. He had, this is, sorry, this is a little graphic, but I won't tell too many details, but he had a noose around his neck. Oh, God. And his hands and feet were bound, and then they were connected to the noose. So basically, like, they were behind his back, and so that if he had moved, the noose would have tightened, right? Like, if he had struggled or anything, the noose would tighten around his neck. So there were signs on his body that he had been tortured before his death. They found evidence that he had been starved for at least three days before he died. And the medical examiner actually concluded that this man had been alive when he had been dropped in the freezing water. So police ran the description of the dead man. He was six foot tall, long, dark hair and blue eyes and into the database of missing persons. And they found a match to a 35-year-old named Darius Janowiski. So Darius had been reported missing four weeks earlier by his wife. He owned a small advertising firm in Rocklaw, which is was about 60 miles from where his body was found. And the day he went missing, his mother, who worked as a bookkeeper at his business, reported that she had received a call at the office around 9.30 a.m. from someone looking for Darius. He, the person had asked if he 
if Darius could make three signs, like big signs as large as billboards. And she was asking for more details. And the caller basically said, I only want to speak to Darius about this issue. So she told him, well, he's out of the office right now. She gave the man Darius's cell phone number. When Darius came back to the office later that day, he told his mom that the man had called him and that they were planning to meet later that afternoon. The receptionist confirmed that he had left for the meeting at 4 p.m. and she was the last person to see him alive. Investigators determined that both of the calls had actually come from a phone booth that was just up the street, but that they couldn't trace them any further. So police searched along the river and the surrounding forest for evidence, but they came up with nothing. They looked through Darius's business records. They found nothing um, that was like off. Everything seemed to be in place. They talked to his wife and his friends who all confirmed that he seemed happy. He was a nice person. Everybody said that the two seemed to have a happy marriage. His wife said, we've been married for eight years. We had one small period of where we were separated, but recently they had been stronger than ever. They were actually applying to adopt a child. And everyone said Darius was this gentle person. He had no enemies, no temper, like nothing that would explain why he had been murdered. Yes, yes. Like so something – there was like nothing off. Um, So the police investigated, but after a six-month investigation in the summer of 2001, police and prosecutors dropped the case. They had no clues and they had no resources to pursue it any further. Polish newspapers called it the perfect murder. In February of 2002, this Polish television program called 997, which is like America's Most Wanted, did a segment on Darius's murder. And they posted on their website like all the latest progress of the investigation. They asked for tips. And then over the years, like hundreds of people visited the website. They found saw, saw visits from as far away as Japan, South Korea, and the United States. But there was never a solid lead to follow. And then finally, in the fall of 2003, a detective named Jessic Roblowski was given the cold case. So Detective Roblowski, who had once been a union organizer against the communist government, had joined the police force nine years earlier after the fall of the communist regime. He was this very, like, he was very Catholic. He really had this really bright view of like right and wrong. And his his free time, he actually studied psychology at a local university because he wanted to better understand the criminal mind. He got this cold case. He decided to take a fresh look at the case file. And he thought from the brutality of the murder and the fact that like Darius's credit cards had never been used, even though they were he had them when he went missing, that this had been a personal attack, not a robbery, which yeah. seemed seems pretty obvious from the way it was done. But he realized that Darius's phone had never been found. And so he was like, I'm going to take a shot and see if I can track it. But this was like 2003. It was Poland. So like the technology that exists now for tracking phones was not available to the Polish police back then. Mm -hmm. Um, Plus it had already been like they already checked and his phone number had never been used after his disappearance. But Roblowski decided he was going to take a different tack. He thought maybe he could find the phone using the serial number from the manufacturer. And like by just a stroke of luck, which would never happen for me, Darius's wife still had the receipt that had the serial number of the phone. Oh, wow. And so they set about like trying to see if they can find a phone with that serial number still in use. And it was like a total long shot. But to everyone's surprise, it paid off. 
there was a cell phone that had been sold on the internet with that serial number listed to this internet auction site called Allegro, which I think is like an eBay, had the same serial number only four days after Darius had disappeared. So police tracked the seller, who went by the name Chris on online, and found that it was a 30-year-old Polish author named Christian Bala. And Roblowski was like not convinced. He didn't think this guy was like the murderer. He was like, it's really unlikely that someone had planned such like a brutal, careful murder and then would immediately sell the cell phone on like such a public site. But he thought maybe the man had found the phone or bought it at a pawn shop. But either way, he wanted to get a hold of him. So however, like Christian Bala had moved out of the country several years earlier, and so he wasn't that easy to find. So Roblowski was like, I'm just going to I'm going to check into his background, see if we can get in touch with him. And he found that Christian Bala had recently published a novel called Amok. And he picked up a copy just like, I just want to learn more about this person and mm-hmm. started to read. And he found out like it was this shocking novel. It was like sadistic, pornographic, misogynistic, but also shocking because Detective Roblowski started no- noticing similarities between the novel and his real life murder case. Wow. Yeah. I so can't believe in- that never like nobody ever made that connection before. So it was it had just been published. Oh, so okay, this okay. habit like so the novel was published three years after the murder, right? Like kind of before the detective started looking into it. Okay. So um so the narrator in the book, who goes by Chris, just as Christian Bala did on the internet auction site, wow. at one point in the in the novel, murders a young woman for no reason and hides it so well that he's never caught. And so that's different than what happened. So it's not like but what struck the detective mostly was the method. There was a noose tightened around the woman's neck. Oh. So now, based on this writing and the fact that he sold the cell phone, Christian Bala became Detective Roblowski's number one suspect. So Christian Bala had been considered a bright, curious kid growing up. He had graduated at the very top of his high school class, had been one of the best philosophy students at the University of Rocklaw. He would bring home stacks and stacks of books from authors like Nietzsche. And his father, who was like a construction worker, would often go to France in the summer for extra work, and Christian would sometimes go with him. And his father said he would bring suitcases stuffed with books. He would work all day and study through the night. I used to joke that he knew more about France from books than from seeing it. And his friends at university kind of described him as this like kind of like intellectual scamp, you know, like he, they were like, yeah, he made up tall stories about himself, but people were not kind of sure what parts of him were real. But for the most part, people really liked him. A former professor said that he was always kind, energetic, hardworking, and principled. A friend uh, told the New Yorker, Christian liked the idea of being this Nietzschean Superman, but anyone who knew him well realized that as well as his language games, he was just playing around. So in 1995, while Christian was still in college, he married his high school sweetheart, Stasia, and the year he graduated, again at the top of his class from college, their son Casper was born. And Christian had started a PhD program, but the young family was having a hard time making ends meet because Stasia was a receptionist. And so Christian ended up quitting school and opened a cleaning business. And although he had dreamt of this big life in academia and being, you know, kind of a philosopher and intellectual, he ended up becoming a businessman. And he said, um, reality came and kicked me in the ass. Once I planned to paint graffiti on walls, now I'm trying to wash it off. So only three years later, 
after their birth of their child in 2000, both his business and his marriage had disintegrated. His wife said that he'd been having an affair and the two had separated. So Christian left Poland after the separation, traveled to the U.S. and Asia, all while working on this novel. He finished the book in 2002. It was published in Poland in early 2003, and it came out to mixed reviews. Like on the internet, a couple of reviewers said it was great. They said, we haven't had this kind of book in in Polish literature before. Um, One said that it was paralyzingly realistic, totally vulgar, full of paranoid and delirious images. Another called it a masterpiece of illusion. Most people thought it was like just kind of shocking and sadistic. And one Polish newspaper said it was without literary merit. So after the book came out, an interview asked him, some authors write only to realize they're Mr. Hyde, the dark side of their psyche. Do you agree? And Christian had joked in response, I know what you're driving at, but I won't comment. It might turn out that Christian Bala is the creation of Chris, not the other way around. So the book actually ended up selling less than a thousand copies, but Christian like truly believed that it would eventually be thought of as this great work of art. He said, I'm truly convinced that one day my book will be appreciated. History teaches that some works of art have to wait ages before they're recognized. So as Detective Roblowski does this deep dive into Christian Christian's book, he finds another detail that kind of chills him because in the book, the killer sells the murder weapon, a knife, on an internet auction site right after the murder. And the phone that was sold in this real murder was not a detail that the police ever released to the public. But because they had no physical evidence, they only had this phone to link him and these kind of like details in the book. Uh Um, And because he was out of the country at the time, police couldn't question Christian unless he came back into the country voluntarily. Like they couldn't extradite him back in or anything. They didn't have enough evidence to connect him. So in the mean in the meantime, they scoured the internet for more clues. They found two things. They found one was that the visits to that 997 website, the one, the Polish TV show that did the story on Darius's murder. And they said, like, oh, it had come from all these different places, these hits onto the website. And they found that. Every time there was a hit from like a foreign country, it was a place that Christian had been living at the time. So it was obviously like him that had been looking on this website for updates on the murder. Um, oh, and they wow. also found, yeah, and they <clears throat> also found that about a month before Darius had been murdered, that he had clicked on that same auction site that he used to sell um, the phone for a police manual called Accidental, Suicidal, and Criminal Hanging which Darius was murdered using a noose. So so none of this was actual evidence. They knew they needed a confession. So finally, in the fall of 2005, five years after the murder, Christian Bala came back to Poland, and he was immediately apprehended. Christian told the public that he had been beaten and kidnapped by police, but Detective Roblowski said that no, they had followed police procedure. When he was being questioned, Roblowski confronted Christian, who said, I don't know Darius Janowski. I don't know anything about the murder. When they asked about the cell phone that he had sold, he said, I don't remember, but I probably bought it at a pawn shop. I did many times in the past. He agreed to take a polygraph test, but the test results were inconclusive. Um, And so after 48 hours with no motive and no confession, Christian was let go. He was ordered to stay in the country. He had to relinquish his passport. But the detective said, I had spent two years trying to build a case and I was watching it all collapse. 
So after his arrest, Christian filed a formal complaint against the police and complained to the press that he was being persecuted for a work of fiction. So this former girlfriend, her name was Denise Reinhardt, um, who's like a, a, she's an American theater director. She actually set up a defense fund for Christian. She wrote on a website asking for money. She said, Christian is the author of a fictional philosophical book called Amok. A lot of the language and content is strong, and there are several metaphors that might be considered against the Catholic Church and Polish tradition. During his brutal interrogation, they referenced the book numerous times, citing it as proof of his guilt. So in the public, it started to look as if this was a government and a police force who was persecuting an author for writing something against Catholic Church and that they were suppressing the freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you can imagine how this looked like kind of globally and like in, in artist communities. It looks like this is like a communist, a former communist regime who's like cracking down on someone who's speaking out. But Detective Roblowski was still convinced that he had had his man. He was like, this is this is the guy. So they ended up like searching the phone calls made from that telephone booth that day, the ones that were made to Darius's business. And they found that they had been made from a phone card. So they traced the phone card and found that that phone card, they couldn't see who like who bought it, but they found that the same phone card had made calls to Christian's parents, to his wife, to girlfriends, and to friends over that same month. And so obviously it belonged to him. Mm -hmm. He had made the calls to Darius's business. But they still had no motive. They they couldn't connect the two of these these two men. They had no reason why he would murder him. Um, So they continued to dig into Christian's life, particularly dating during the years before the murder of 1999 and 2000 when he was his business was failing and he was getting divorced from his wife so he found finally they found a former babysitter who described Christian as like during that time increasingly drunk and out of control she uh-huh. said that he constantly berated his wife Stasia he had like shouted at her that she had slept around and cheated on him and according to a couple people after Christian and his wife separated in 2000 he was very possessive of her a friend called him an authoritarian type they said that once at a new year's eve party at 2000 just weeks after Darius's body was found Christian thought the bartender was making advances towards Stasia and that he went ballistic they said it took five guys to drag him off of this bartender oh wow and yeah, and so at the time, Stasi and her friends were like, this is just, he's drunk. It's not, you know, they didn't think anything of it. Um, they were already separated this time. But then finally, police found a connection between Christian and Darius. A friend told Stasia, a friend of Stasia's told police that in the summer of 2000, she and Stasia had been to a club, saw Stasia talking to a man, and it was Darius Janikow. Janowowski. Janisowski. So they go back to Stasia, and she actually had refused to cooperate before that point. Like, she just basically was like, I don't know anything. We've been divorced for five years. I don't know this guy. So, but now they had the evidence that she knew Darius. They went back to her, and they actually got her to talk. They showed her, like, some pretty disturbing sections of Christian's book, which described like the narrator's wife. It was obviously based on Stasia. And they also told her that they had found on Christian's computer evidence that he had been collecting information on her new boyfriend. And so this like shook her so much that she agreed to talk. And she told police 
that yes, she had met Darius at the club. The two had gone on a date, and on that date, they had checked into a motel. And she, but she said that before anything had happened, Darius had confessed that he was married, but they were in a rough spot in his marriage. But Stasia had ended up leaving. She was like, I know what it's like to be the wife who's cheated on, and I'm not going to do that for, to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So, like after that, after she left, Darius had reconciled with his wife, and he and Stasia had never seen each other again. But Stasia said that a couple weeks after that date, Christian showed up at her place in like totally drunk, and he demanded that she admit to having an affair with Darius. He broke down the front door. He hit her. He <gasps> shouted that he had hired a private detective and that he knew everything. And she said he also mentioned that he had visited Darius's office and described it to me. Then he said he knew which hotel we had went to and what room we were in. And she said that after Darius had disappeared, she asked Christian if he had done if he had known anything about it and he said no and she said she believed him so whether that's true or not it's pretty clear that she was afraid of him yeah um so now police have a motive right they're like okay we finally have a connection between these two men um and so they arrested christian and he went to trial in february of 2007 uh the trial lasted for six months but in the end christian bala was found guilty of murder and sentenced to 25 years in prison what after hit yeah, I know. I don't know different – like, I don't know if that's, like, the most you could. Or, yeah. Yeah. Um, that just seems ridiculously low. Not that much, right? Yeah. Um, not for such a for horrific s- murder. Yes. Yeah. So after his arrest, his book became a bestseller. It sold out of every store in Poland. Christian still maintains his innocence. He told the reporter from The New Yorker, he said, I'm being sentenced to prison for 25 years for writing a book, a book. It's ridiculous. It's bullshit. Excuse my language, but it is what it is. Look, I wrote a novel, a crazy novel. Is the book vulgar? Yes. Is it obscene? Yes. Is it body? Yes. Is it offensive? Yes. I intend it to be. This was a work of provocation. But when he was asked about the evidence against him, like the calling card and the phone, he said, someone's trying to set me up. I don't know who yet, but someone is out to destroy me. So in 2007, his verdict was actually annulled, and he was granted a new trial. But at that trial, he was once again found guilty and ordered to serve a 25-year sentence. Um, And supposedly, he is working on a second novel from prison. Oh, geez. That's a wild – yeah. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely read that New Yorker article. It's really like it, it, if you're interested in kind of like all the the what more stuff that's in the novel that like ties to the ties to the crime. It's very like esoteric, but um, it's a really good, really good article and really interesting. Yeah, Just like yeah. I definitely. What is it? It's from in the New Yorker. In the New Yorker. Okay. And it's called the like postmodern murder. Postmodern murder. Hey, Sally. Hey, Jen. Are you ready for a love story? I am. I feel like that that last story was pretty brutal. Yeah. That was that was not good. Yeah, not good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it was a, yeah, it's a very interesting, wild story. Yeah. It was a good story, but not good, if you not know good. it. This is kind of not good also, but I mean, you know, we're all very upset about the loss of Betty White, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, But not a lot of people know the love story between her and her husband of 18 years, Alan Ludden. I'm just going to be honest. Whenever a celebrity died, I mean, Bob Saget just passed away and that was like completely heartbreaking, way too young. Yeah. Way too young to die. But whenever a celebrity who's like 95 
96, 97, 100, whenever yeah. a celebrity that old passes away and then everyone on the internet is like, no, it's like, let them go. Like, it's the natural progression of things. Like, they're going to pass away at some point. Right. If they made it. <laughs> what did you think was going to happen? What did you think was going to happen? Like, and if, like, they made it that far. Yeah. <laughs> it's a celebration. You know what I mean? It's a celebration. 100%. So, yeah. yes. so that's what I like to think of, of the loss of Betty White. Um, yes, I agree. So my information came from an article for Mamma Mia, written by Isabella Ross, and then also an article for People.com, written by Katie Hogan. Great. Um, but if you don't know who uh, Betty White is, you should. But um, she had an eight-decade-long career. She was iconic. Her most famous role was in um, Golden Girls. That's where she's most known for, but also the Mary Tyler Moore show. Yeah. If you're old like us. Actually, I never watched the Mary <laughs> no, Tyler Moore show. <laughs> did watch the Golden Girls, though. Actually, in fact, I did a show. I can't remember the name of it, but it was a. It was basically a Golden Girls comedy show hosted by Wussy Magazine where it was like drag and comedians and all that stuff. And um, and I got to play Betty White. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I had a blonde wig and everything. It was great. Um, we should post a picture. Oh, yeah, I should. Um, yeah. So um, not many people knew about her love story with her and her husband. So in 1961, when Betty was in her late 30s, um, she was on um, – she was a guest on the um, popular TV show Password. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the host of the TV show was veteran TV personality Alan Ludden. And so, yeah. And so she said that when she met him, she thought that he was very charming and attractive. And you could really, they say that you could really see the chemistry between the two of them on screen. But unfortunately, when she met him at that moment, he had actually been married to his first wife, Margaret McGloin. And at the mo at the time, she was actually dying of cancer, his wife. Oh. So, and um, during the week, actually, that Betty uh, was on the show is the week that Margaret passed away. And so she was just so heartbroken for this man because he had three right. kids who had just lost their mother. His kids were nine, 10, and 13, which is like, oh, just yeah. such heartbreaking ages at that time. But she said that he was just so nice. And when she met him, she just felt like she knew him already. But also she was, at the time, was dating somebody else um, pretty steadily. They remained friends. And, and after a while, once... Alan, you know, healed and moved on from losing his wife, he would jokingly always ask Betty to marry him, you know, just making a joke. And so she considered it to be a joke. And also she had been married twice before. So like the idea of getting married again to her was just such a laughable thing, like never again, you yeah. know? Um, so she thought that he was joking, but then he ended up buying her a wedding ring. It was like a beautiful uh, gold ring with diamonds and she refused to wear it. So, um, or she refused to marry him, you know, right. she still thought he was kidding. So he ended up wearing this, putting this ring on a chain and um, wore it around his neck and he would wear it everywhere. Like, oh. this is the ring that I'm going to marry you with. Yeah. And they yeah. Just, she just kind of laughed about it. But then on Easter of 1963, he had sent her this adorable, fluffy white stuffed bunny, she said, which... Um, also had a ruby diamond and sapphire earrings on the bunny. <laughs> yeah. And um, he proposed to her again. And this time Betty said yes. 
she said that I told him I was the only woman to marry him, not because of the earrings, but because of the stuffed bunny. Like, (laughs) that's what she liked. So when CNN interviewed her in 2012 about marrying him um, and her decision to get married again, she told them, I thought, am I going to live the rest of my life without this man? Thank goodness we got married when we did. And so that year, 1963, is when they got married. So he changed her mind about remarrying again. Yeah. And they lived, you know, very happily and blissfully. Um, She said that he would call me from wherever he was working and say, you want to go to dinner? You want to have a date? And I'd say, sure. And um, she said, well, going out to dinner meant he'd stop on the way home and pick up a chicken and put it on the barbecue. (laughs) We would just put on a (laughs) stack of records, have a barbecue and dance. Oh, which is so sweet. That is so sweet. I know. When Betty talks about her um, previous marriages, she says she calls them that they were just rehearsals, like rehearsals <laughs> to being married to him. Um, she said that the reason that she left her second marriage was because her ex-husband wanted her to be a stay-at-home parent, and that was just something that she never envisioned for herself. You know? Yeah. I mean, could you imagine if you put Betty in a corner? Keep a Betty in a corner. Keep a Betty in a corner. Betty then became a stepmother to his three children. Actually, Betty White had told Sandra Bullock once, you know what? I never had children biologically. I married someone who had three children and how blessed I was to have those three stepchildren. It turned out great. Oh. So yeah. And, and that what a cool stepmom. Right. You know? She said, I didn't think I chose to have children because I'm focused on my career and I just don't think as compulsive as I am that I could manage both, which is another reason that she didn't have her own children, but Mm -hmm. at least she enjoyed being a stepmom. So in 1980, Alan was diagnosed with stomach cancer, uh, which was heartbreaking for both of them, obviously, but she took really good care of him. Carol Burnett actually told People Magazine, when Alan was very sick, Betty would come in and rehearse my show and then go leave to the hospital. She just soldiered through brilliant as always. Like she was always by his side. Yeah. And then in 1981, in June of 1981, Alan died at 62 years old, which is so young. Yeah. Um, His death notice said that Betty was at his bedside when he passed away. And at that point they had been married for 18 years. Betty once told Archive of American Television, I regret that year that I wasted saying no to Alan, like when he kept proposing to yeah. her. She said, I wasted all that time we could have been together. I would have given anything to have it back. It was a love affair. We missed 18 years by three days. Oh. So yeah. And she missed 100 by three weeks. Maybe this, you know, that's her thing, man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, But in 1988, after Alan had already passed away, he was actually awarded a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and it was located right next to Betty's. And she said, I cannot express how at at the ceremony, she said, I cannot express what this day means to me. Don't be surprised if in the wee hours of the morning, our stars are fooling around. Oh, (laughs) I love that. I know. She remained unmarried and just loyal to him every day. Like she still considered herself to be married to him and in fact she kept a photo of him on her bedside table and she blew a kiss to him every morning and at night she would open the windows now I'm getting emotional (laughs) and she'd blow a kiss to him up in the sky oh I know (laughs) and so um and then in 2011, when Anderson Cooper interviewed her and asked her why she never got married again, she told him, when you've had the best, who needs the rest? I had the love of my life. 
so sweet. That's so sweet. Refresh. I can get it together, Jen. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay. So as everybody knows, Betty White passed away this December 31st of 2021. And her publicist, when they made a statement, they said, I don't think Betty ever feared passing because she always wanted to be with her most beloved husband, Alan Ludden. She believed she would be with him again. Isn't that so sweet? It is sweet. It is so sweet. Okay. I love it. I know. I mean, I love everything about Betty White. Me too. And I love that I did had no idea that she had this like great love. That like that's a long time. That's 40 years she lived past him. Yeah. And the fact that she like kept a flame for him that whole time is really just amazing. It really, really is. I know. It's so sweet. I think that's beautiful. All right, Jen, you Love did you, take Betty. us to Happy Town. That was great. I know. Okay. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know I did. Oh, my God. Speaking of Happy Town. Yes. I don't need to turn this into like a sales pitch, but we do have new merch. Oh, right. We do. We do. We have new Happy Town merch, and it's great. Uh, it's just the words Happy Town. It's awesome. You can find it um, if you go to our website, which is dumblovepodcast.com. Uh, you can find it a link to it there. We've got all sorts of stuff. We got t-shirts. We got mugs. We got totes. Got everything. Totes. Sweatshirts. Totes we got stickers. for your boats. Totes for your boats. So please, go uh, go get some Happy Town. Don't we all need to go to Happy Town? Yes, we all need to yeah, go to Happy Town. We do. And support the pod. We'd love that. Um, all right. Well, let's do something dumb and something we love. Okay, let's do it. So my something dumb is that, Jen, you know how I was like, oh, it's just like this mild case of COVID that I had. Yeah. Well, it turns out I still feel sick. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sorry. sick. I don't have COVID anymore, but I have been having like, like I'm still like not back. I'm still not back all the way. Like I still am like like fatigue oh feel a sick. it's just a bummer and uh and it makes me really like grateful for my uh vaccines and um just feel really like i've had just a teeny tiny piece of what people must really be going through with long covid i can't imagine i mean this isn't long covid but this is just like a lingering sickness but but yeah i just am really you know i'm really thinking about all those people who are just still suffering and the thing i love is have you watched abbott elementary no but janelle james is in it and i'm dying to see it yes uh i think we've talked about janelle before she's such an amazing comedian she also has um a new special out on netflix um comedy special which you should watch but um abbott elementary is just so lovely. It's funny and it's heartfelt and I just totally recommend it. So that has made me happy this week. Oh man, you I'm definitely going to watch that. I've been meaning to and I really have been itching for some like good comedy and honestly Janelle James I've worked with her before. She's amazing. Yeah. And I'm not just saying this cuz I I've worked with her before. She is my f- favorite comedian right now. She She's is so great. She's so fucking funny. Um yeah. if you don't know who she is Learn it. Learn it. Learn Look her it. up. She has like at least two specials out. She has an album. Uh, go like immerse yourself in Janelle James yeah. and you will be better for it. She's you so great. Be. Cool. Thanks for the suggestions. Alex. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. For my something dumb this week, I'm going to say that it is dumb that we've had to stop recording exactly 72 times <laughs> in this episode. So if I sound distracted, it's because 
I've I'm distracted. <laughs> I can't, every time we like get a minute in, my phone rings. It's a work emergency. People are acting crazy. People are People acting are. crazy yeah. lately. I literally just got invited to a webinar this afternoon on how to deal with the with fact that people are acting crazy these days. I swear on my life. And I was like, I think I'm going to take this webinar. Um, Cause I just, I can't explain it. It's just everywhere. Just people are losing their minds. And I guess I understand it because of COVID and everything, but um, I just need to go to the woods. Yeah. I just need to go to the woods alone with no phone. And, um, you know that's my my uh, antidote to, to everything. <laughs> to everything, I'm like, go to the woods, be by yourself. <laughs> I'm not a good relaxer, but and Dustin's laughing at me because I, I've I've been doing like yoga every day, and um, I, but I text him while I'm doing yoga. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, stop talking to me. Like, put your phone down. I'm like, this is how I relax. I do a little <laughs> relaxing, and then I look at my phone, and then I relax a little more. But um, so that's the dumb thing is just things are so chaotic right now. Um, but something that I love is I've got two amount. Well, I don't want to jinx it because we always jinx like fun trips, but I have two mountain excursions happening back to back next weekend with my buddy, Justin vegan road. You guys have heard me talk about a million times. And then the weekend after that, I'm going on a, a girl's uh, birthday 40th. Yeah. trip weekend so that should be fun too need a I'm little excited for you though. yeah you do you definitely <laughs> do i do <laughs> all right guys well this was your episode 132 what did you think let us know i know i apologize if i was all over the place i really jen i'm gonna fix it in post Ugh, baby that's right <laughs> thank god for sally thank god for sally <laughs> i'm gonna do my best man all right. Well, email us. You can email us uh, at dumblovepod at gmail.com. Buy our merch. Go to our website, dumblovepodcast.com. That's also where how you can find us on all the socials, at dumblovepodcast. We would love to hear from you. Please rate and review. That is so nice. And tell a friend. We'd love that. Do all of those things that Sally said. I hope you guys have an amazing week. And don't forget to get out there and do something dumb for love. Dum, da, dum, 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 da, dum, da, dum, da, dum, 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 d